Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged on Tuesday, the 12th of November 2019. Mark Pender is across the water on the East Coast and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. So it's a pretty hefty period for economic data with manufacturing very much in the focus in Europe and the US. We also have a broader assessment of economic conditions courtesy of GDP updates out of Eurozone, UK and Japan. Stateside first then, um, Mark, um, before we get to the data, I see Mr Trump will shortly be giving a lunchtime speech to the Economic Club of New York. Um, financial markets clearly still preoccupied with global trade issues and I guess with what new intraday stock market highs pretty well as we speak, they seem to remain pretty optimistic. So do you think there's kind of the likelihood of any kind of positive news coming out of his address today? Or is it still the case of wait and see? Well, you know, if there is, our colleague uh, and Econoday st- uh, uh, staffer, Tony Mace, is at that um, speech uh, and will be um, posting uh, any, any breaking news as it happens. Uh you never know what to expect, and uh, you know, one day it's one thing, and uh, another day it's another thing with the Chinese and, U- and the U.S. negotiations. Uh, last week, the Chinese um, uh, announcing an agreement to roll back tariffs uh, together, and then uh, President Trump uh, uh, negating that over the weekend. So um, it's hard to say. I, I still think that the markets in general are holding a, an upbeat view on t- on uh, on resolution uh, of these issues, including uh, European um, uh, tariffs, U.S. tariffs on European vehicles. So uh, it it. It would take a big disappointment or a, a somehow uh, 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 collapse. We had that in August, if you, if you remember. Uh, we had uh, uh, a breakdown in the talks, and that I caused quite, much so. quite, quite yeah. a uh, reaction uh, in the markets, but also in the business and consumer uh, sentiment readings. Uh, but they have since recovered. And uh, so I, I, the outlook, I think, is uh, neutral to favorable. Um, however, we are still seeing uh, a decline in, uh, in trade data. And uh, so the effects are still there. There's no doubt about that. And as you mentioned, manufacturing is at that forefront. And um, so the effects of uh, the uh, tariffs that have already been pu- put in place are, are, are playing out, uh, slowing things down and really tilting the Federal Reserve policy, at least for the U.S., uh, uh, you know, making for three straight rate cuts in a row. Whether we'll get a fourth, we don't know. But uh, um, I think that's the setting right now. Also, Jerome Powell speaks tomorrow. Uh, He'll be talking on the Capitol Hill about um, the economic outlook. Uh, We do have a lot of information on what the Fed has been looking at uh, and their uh, recently concluded FOMC uh, statement and press conference, uh, Jerome Powell. So uh, probably not a lot of you know uh, big surprises. Uh, I think. Can I ask you about in- the IP data Friday, particularly yeah, in the context okay. of all this weakness yeah. of manufacturing? What's the uh-huh. um, consensus on this? What should we be looking for? The uh, Canada consensus here is uh, for further contractions. Actually, they're going to the consensus uh, uh, is for. Uh, contractions that will match September contractions, pretty significant at uh, 0.4 for overall production and then 0.5 
contraction for the manufacturing component, which is a major uh, uh, reading here. These are distorted. Uh, September was distorted by motor vehicles because of the GM strike. The GM strike did last through uh, most of August, uh, October. So um, there will probably be that uh, effect underneath all this, however, is um, – uh, the capital goods sector, the industrial sector, those readings aren't broken out with the same kind of um, uh, market interest that the durable goods report is. But they still have um, business equipment and they still have high-tech uh, high, uh, readings um, in this. And they have been uh, uh, very weak. Uh, and uh, that could, if, if those are weak uh, in this report, that could be speaking on Friday's report to something um, you know, more severe uh, going on underneath. Uh, this is interesting because this is the U.S. industrial production. This is before October. Now, China released their October report um, last week. And um, let me just uh, call that. But the Europeans haven't, uh, uh, they've just finished uh, releasing up their um, September data. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, so the European data can tend to come somewhat behind the likes of the, a lot of the Asian statistics and certainly from your side of the world as well. And I guess um, with regards to that, and the big news coming out of Europe last week was from Germany, where the goods producing sector officially fell into recession. So industrial production for the third quarter was down at a 1.1% quarterly rate. That followed a 1.7% decline in the second quarter. So that's technically equals recession of course and, and in September alone it put the level of production at its weakest level in nearly three years so clearly bad news for the eurozone's largest economy and just to show that it's not just Germany that's struggling from the, the goods producing side at the moment Italy uh, they announced their September figures last week and that duty left them in recession as far as goods production is concerned as well and although France has actually managed to avoid recession in its manufacturing sector so far it also reported a hefty third quarter loss that was down 1.2 percent so if we stick that little lot together, uh -huh. um, on Wednesday, we're going to get the full Eurozone industrial production figures. And to be honest, it looks pretty well all but certain we're going to see Eurozone goods production now falling into recession. In fact, if we don't get any kind of uh, back revisions, then uh, the month on month figure for September uh, would need to be up some 2.7% just to keep the third quarter flat. So in mm. other words, uh, Eurozone manufacturing very much struggling at the moment. Well, before turning to the uh, German GDP flash on Thursday, let me just correct myself on Chinese industrial production. They haven't released their October results yet. They'll be out on Thursday, uh, Chinese time, which will be um, uh, late Wednesday, U.S. time. But uh, in, the consensus here is for slowing, continued slowing. And they, we had the uh, Chinese trade data last week. And it showed the same uh, general contraction and very, very deep contraction for the U.S.-China trade. Um, uh, the same kind of uh, uh, export-import contraction that we've been seeing at the U.S., for instance. But it's interesting because we've, uh, in the past, have always marginalized the, uh, I guess, reliability of Chinese data. But here it is. They're out first with a very important report, industrial production. Uh, and... Uh, um, and more and more, uh, 
their data will be um, have a greater influence on the market in an increasing way, given the slowdown and yeah. the first signs of it. So it's kind of a, an ironic, interesting kind of a twist that you know um, it's these statistics that are going to be in um, in sharp focus and and apparently taken more than face value taken as you know as credible as the US or or the UK or or uh, or other uh, data do you have any uh, yeah, any thoughts on that I think I think it's completely right I think now we got to a stage where we've been through a period during which China has been seen as being the kind of global engine keeping uh, economic growth going so anything that suggests particularly in the light of you know the slowdown we've had stateside um, you know, anything that suggests now that China is slowing significantly as well is going to have a disproportionate impact upon markets now as you mentioned I think you know when push comes to shove if you asked investors how much weight are they really going to attach to the likes of Chinese GDP, while anything that moves as little as that does on a year-on-year or quarterly basis, I don't think anyone's going to fully believe. But nonetheless, it's the usual sort of thing with markets that they want the latest available data, even if they don't fully believe it, it's more up-to-date than anything else, and that's what they're going to trade off. So certainly, I think you're right, the Chinese data this week, you mentioned we'll get the IP, we'll also get what retail sales as well later Uh on this week, and they're going to be watched closely. Well, I and you know I'm watching closely. Will be the German GDP flash indeed on Thursday, along with the uh, eurozone uh, GDP flash. Now we've had other GDP numbers coming out of Europe. So what can we expect for these? Well, the German one's going to be the key one because this will be their first estimate. Um, the German figures, as, as good or as otherwise they may be, tend to come out somewhat uh, behind the rest of the Eurozone. So we've already had figures for the likes of Spain, France and Italy, none of which showed uh, an actual downturn, but also none of which were particularly impressive. Now, Thursday, as you mentioned, we'll get the first estimate of German third quarter GDP. Uh, the Conade uh, consensus there is looking for a second consecutive point. 1% decline. That's on a quarter-on-quarter quarter basis. So clearly, were that to be confirmed, then Germany would actually technically be in recession. It may be only a very small one, but with the first time it's actually had back-to-back contractions in a quarterly GDP since the turn of uh, 2012. So it's the fourth quarter of 2012, first quarter of 2013. Is there, last is, time. Is there a, do they revise in the, uh, the prior uh, they quarter? can revise. They can revise them, yes. Um, so it's it's possible again that we could actually see perhaps a you know a negative print for the third quarter and the second quarter downturn being revised away. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. But I think yeah, you know, however going to slice this data, the underlying impression now is that the weakness of German manufacturing, which as we've mentioned, is now in 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 technical recession. It's starting to have implications for how the rest of the German economy performs. Services we know are also slowing as well, and as you were talking about earlier on, I mean, you put that against the background of all the problems we have with global trade at the moment, you know, it really makes a, a pretty nasty scenario for Germany. And again, just underlines you know, how sensitive or why markets become so sensitive to almost any kind of international trade data. Well, um, now we had some yep. UK labor uh, data out. Indeed. Um, now, it seemed to be mixed. Uh, um, and um, the headline, or, or uh, uh, what you were uh, you put up at the top of the report, uh, caught me. Let me just call that report up. Uh, uh, um, and it, what caught me was um, the claim account has risen every month since February two thousand and seventeen. This is account for unemployment, and it's risen 
um, for two and a half years every month. What does that mean? Well, it's got to be said that when it comes to the claimant count, it's then it's not officially regarded what they call a national statistic. It's uh, it's a kind of an experimentary measure, but it's released uh, much more up to date. So these these are for October from the claimant count series, um, compared with the official data. These what they call the ILO, the International Labour Office statistics. And quite often, I suppose in some ways a bit like we can get in the states where you get a big increase in employment, but the unemployment rate still goes up. We can get different stories being produced by the claimant count unemployment data on one side and what the ILO data are saying on the other. So if national statistics say, well, really, although you know, we do have these claimant count figures and markets, because they've looked at them for such a long time, still take them on board, you should really be focusing upon what they call the ILO data. So although, as you mentioned, the claimant count number has been trending solidly upward for a couple of years plus now, the ILO data actually showed, and this is for the three months to September, they take three Month move three monthly data here showed a decline in unemployment over 23,000, an unexpected drop in the ILO unemployment rate down to 3.8%, which well, is a multi year low. Do they, do they dis, um, discuss this discrepancy? Or Not I, really. I think at the end of the day, the, the Office of National Statistics attitude is well, look, you know, the the ILO figures are what we regard as a, a kosher statistic. The others are something which we put out more for information than anything else. They are measured differently, but I think at the end of the day, and certainly in terms of the media, the main press coverage now tends to be on the ILO figures. Well, the other but, one is is uh, is pointing. That's a terrible run, right? Uh, unemployment rising every month. It uh, is, although it's got to be said that three point four percent. Um, yeah, unemployment on the claimant count number is still historically extremely low. Now, if we go back a couple of years or so ago, we did get down to the 2%, which were record lows. So it's been creeping up. But by and large, it's been creeping up you know, relatively slowly. So even as we speak, even on this claimant count basis, mm -hmm. you have a jobless market, historically speaking, is still pretty tight. Well, now let me ask you about average hourly earnings. What's interesting I see here is something I've seen in the U.S., which was a peaking a few months uh, back and, uh, and now a drop off. Is that what we're seeing at the U.K.? It is, and it's important. I want to say just touch on the Bank of England from last week as well, and this is a good way of leading into it. It is important, I think, because in the in the context of policy, which, of course, what investors are really interested in, one of the reasons why the Bank of England has had, and indeed still has as we speak, this so-called gentle tightening bias is, it, is because it believes that the labour market is tight enough to lead to an upturn in average earnings, which ultimately will feed through into inflation and push inflation above the 2% medium term target. And for until I suppose the last couple of months or so, that had been generally speaking you know, the kind of trend we've been seeing in the earnings data. Certainly we had seen during sort of the what round summertime, there was quite a sharp acceleration in earnings. And a lot of people at the Bank of England then started to jump up and down saying, look, told you, labour market's too tight, earnings are going up, you know, the output gap's disappearing, we need to raise interest rates. Hence, we had this tightening bias. They couldn't raise rates because all the Brexit uncertainty, etc., etc. But what we appear to be seeing now, and it's been true over the last couple of months or so, is that the labour market is beginning to loosen a little bit may not be a lot, but it's loosening a little bit. And the kind of acceleration in the profile we had coming through in earnings in the past is petering out. And indeed, we're now starting to see some kind of deceleration coming through, which, of course, makes it much less likely that the bank will have to tighten. Now, with regards to the bank, and I've got to touch on this from last week, because, well, to be perfectly honest, I think it's all getting a little bit silly. 
So, I mean, in terms of the bank last Thursday, as people probably saw, we had no change in interest rates. So bank rate still stays at 0.75%, which surprised absolutely no one whatsoever, given we've got an election around the corner and we still don't know what happened to blooming Brexit. And quantitative easing was left, left steady as well. But they also retain their central case scenario, which has mentioned this tightening bars, which means that rates will gradually move higher over the course of coming years. But despite all that, two of the nine members very much unexpectedly signaled they wanted an immediate cut in interest rates. And not only that, at his press conference, um, Governor Mark Carney, well, he spent most of his time warning about downside risks to GDP and the need to carefully support the economy. Now, that's really left financial markets more convinced than ever, since they never believed this tightening bars was going to happen anyway. More than ever, they believe now that there's going to be, you know, when we do get a change in interest rates, it's going to be on the downside. So, I mean, I guess for choice that rates are probably on hold into early 2020 because of Brexit and the elections, but you know, international investors and domestic investors now are going to be a lot mm-hmm. more sensitive to unexpected weakness in the economic data than they have been previously. Well, let's put on our, commu- our uh, uh, financial economic communications caps, and what having a bias go in, uh, or hold in one direction and having um, votes now splitting off into another mm-hmm. direction, um, and then as you were saying, uh, Carney. Um, uh, emphasizing um, the downside risks. Um, there's a, a gap there between what they're saying and what they're implying or what's being implied. And that really shoots down the quality of their statement and their reliability or their credibility when trying to describe their own policy. Am I overstating that? Uh, t- to be honest, I don't think you are. I suppose if I back up a little bit and, you know, and, and try to be a little bit fairer to the, to the bank, you've got to say that ultimately you know, they, this was their well, their, their, their mid-quarter meeting when they have to update their economic forecasts. And at the moment, trying to forecast what's going to happen to the UK economy, since we don't know what's happening to Brexit, we don't know who's going to win the general election, we don't know what the what the, the election policy, post-election policies are going to be from any of the main parties, except the fact they're going to spend more. So it's kind of impossible at this stage to peer through the crystal ball to say what's going to happen. And the bank has been consistent in assuming that we get some kind of a smooth Brexit. It actually made some slight changes last week, whereby it's now assuming that the kind of smooth Brexit will come via Boris Johnson's you know, touted deal with the EU, if he can finally get it through Parliament. And the bank's view is that were we to get a deal, markets would like it. It will give a big boost to sentiment. We might actually see you know, consumer spending, investment and the general expenditure components of GDP all begin to pick up. And because the labour market is still tight, even though it's loosening, that could cause problems for inflation further out. But again, it's as you say, it really doesn't sound too clever to be talking that kind of direction when you've got two of members, two of the nine members voting to cut rates, and the governor himself still kind of hinting where he's a bit worried about what might happen. Yeah, that's well. I guess if if it wasn't for Brexit, then uh, or the anticipation of a soft Brexit, they might have changed their bias. 
it's it's possible it's possible I mean, certainly i think were they to suddenly believe well as we talked about in the past anything can happen with brexit at the moment if it suddenly looked like it's going to be a no deal brexit then i think that automatically would they would lose their bias they would introduce an easing bias and they might even come out and you know cut interest rates because they they really are stacking the tightening view on the grounds that we'll get the kind of brexit which leads to recovery in confidence and hence a recovery in you know, in domestic demand Mm-hmm. Okay, which round this bit off then with quick on GDP. Um, what do we, we get? The Japanese GDP third quarter numbers will be late out on Wednesday. They're expected to show a 0.2% quarter on quarter increase in total output there. That'd be down from 0.3% last time. So, again, in line with what is still very sluggish Japanese economic growth and continued um, problems meeting their inflation target. As uh, Mark mentioned, we're getting the, uh, the Chinese IP data out, industrial production figures out also on Wednesday. Um, we'll also get Chinese retail sales then as well. And also Wednesday, we'll get the uh, Reserve Bank of New Zealand. They'll be announcing what they're doing with policy. Um, and the general consensus, it's not much a completely firm one from what it looks like, but it seems that you know, there's at least a, a small majority in favour of another 25 basis point cut in their official cash rate. That would put it down to a new low of 0.75%. That's following what a 50 basis point cut in August, which is quite a big move by most central bank standards these days. And that would make for what an accumulative reduction of a full 100 basis points so far this year. So again, just further highlight the fact that the general trend towards interest rates at the moment, irrespective of what Mr. Carney and crew might be saying at the Bank of England, remains very much on the downside. Okay, Mr. Pender, anything else to add? No, I think we did it. We covered it. Good. Excellent. That's what we like to hear. In which case, as ever, on behalf of Mark and myself, thanks as always for listening. Keep an eye on your old uh, Econoday's global economic calendar to make sure you're fully up to date with what's going on. And we look forward to doing it again next week. Bye for now.